Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. First, we're going to start with the federal budget looming here this afternoon. We got Dan Albus on the line, a federal conservative MP for the Central Okanagan. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Dan, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, it's great to be here, Mike. And we're also open. Do we got Rand Deep or no, Tim? Okay, we're having lots of phone troubles here this morning with uh, Rogers service uh, being down. So we're having trouble getting some of our guests. We, we're still trying to get Randeep Sarai, Liberal MP in Surrey, and hopefully, hopefully we're going to get him here. But, Dan, we'll start with you first. What are you uh, looking for in this budget this afternoon? Well, I'm going to be looking for things that help my constituents. We have too many Al McIntyres that have suffered because this government has botched its vaccination efforts and it hasn't secured our borders. Look, you know, they, they dropped the special screening for um, for people coming into Canada from Brazil and their rationale, Mike, the Public Health Agency of Canada. Well, it's already here. We know from Dr. Henry these variants are, are tackling uh, younger and younger people. And, you know, today we had Joe Biden come out and say that every American adult who wants a vaccine can now get it. We only have two provinces in this country that are even saying that they'll vaccinate you over the age of 40. So anything that Mr. Trudeau does today with Ms. Freeland, it's her first budget to distract away from the utter failures that have happened over the, over this. Um, and, and, you know, quite honestly, if there are further supports to help our health care system uh, and to secure our borders and to get those vaccine into arms, I will be very happy to see that. But I'm skeptical. I think they're going to want to talk uh, about big spending initiatives. OK, speaking of big spending, are you worried or concerned at all about the pace of spending that we continue to see here? I mean, the country's in a in a public health emergency. We're in year two of this thing. It continues to drag on. It's getting worse. Like we're going through the worst of it right now so i mean do you doesn't the government have to spend big right now well it needs to do what i said before get get people to jab it also needs to secure our borders and it also needs to try and and, and do whatever we can to reopen our economy as safely as possible uh, again we don't know when that will be but we do know that there's going to be a huge debt to pay post covid 19 off and, and look british columbia was already hit hard in my area we have places like merritt Kelowna uh, that have been hit hard in the forestry sector where people were losing jobs before covid and if we're going to grow out of this to be able to pay down those debts we need to see uh, those areas become productive again look we're seeing these companies that are, are leaving british columbia they're not leaving forestry mike they're going down to the united states where they are much more competitive, and that's something that falls squarely on Mr. Trudeau. We got a lot of anticipation about a national child care plan anticipated to possibly be in this budget this afternoon. Do you have any concerns about the cost of that? Well, let's see. First of all, from a B.C. perspective, let's be mindful that when we had a leader of the Liberal Party from British Columbia, his name was John Turner, he promised to, to have national daycare back in 1988. But but seriously, uh, this is a promise, a hobby horse they go to any time they want their electoral issues. So, you know what? All of us want to see safe, affordable 
daycare. But again, you can't have people working in that environment if, they're, if, the, if there's not vaccines, if there's not pr- proper PPE. And also, what's going to be the proposal? Is it going to be an Ottawa knows best uh, policy? And again, Mike, we want to see uh, ch- uh, safe, affordable child care, but there has to be flexibility and choice to adapt to the working environment that families have to deal with. In British Columbia, not everyone clocks in okay. from a nine to five. Okay, we've been able to connect now with our Randeep Sarai. He is the Liberal MP in Surrey Centre. And Randeep, thanks a lot for jumping on here. No problem, Mike. Sorry about that. I think with the Rogers uh, phone issues, we're having no. a lot of chance uh, difficulties connecting today. I um, t- totally understand. Go ahead. Uh, look, we, we've been there for Canadians right from the beginning. Uh, I think the, uh, uh, there was a, a massive contraction uh, last year. We've been able to get uh, almost 75% of those Canadians their jobs back, but there's still 290,000 plus Canadians that are uh, struggling, need to get there, uh, get back to work. We're working tirelessly to uh, make sure we can inject uh, uh, support for them and so uh, ensuring that they can pay their mortgage payments and we've been there for Canadians and we're going to be there uh, going ahead. We've uh, secured eight more Pfizer, sh- eight million more Pfizer shots as now. This is going to really help with the recovery. Over 25% of Canadians have already been vaccinated uh, uh, and uh, with their first shot and we're looking to get the rest of them vaccinated very shortly. Okay, what do you say to that, Dan? Well, I just, again... Joe Biden said today every American adult who wants one can come and get one. These guys have been always a day late and a dollar short. Well, they make their, look, they make their if, own if vaccine. They're going to be making, if they're going to be making investments that will help get us uh, onto a recovery, sure, that's great. But again, they're talking about what? They're talking about ch- uh, child care. And again, they've been promising that since 1988. So, you know, well, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. I want to see, I want to see great investments. Hang on, guys, 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 guys. Competitive. Gentlemen, alone, gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Uh, 250000 the month before that. Uh, yeah, we've had uh, uh, over a million people get back their jobs in the last uh, uh, short little while. So we're working on everything that is getting the Canada back on track. We are probably one of the strongest fiscal positions in the G7. Uh, and we have one of the best uh, COVID vaccination rates now going forward, too, out of the OECD countries, so countries that are comparable to us. And, and we'll get there. We're getting it much better and, uh, than many other uh, uh, countries around the world. So I think uh, Canadians have recognized that. We've supported everyone from small okay. businesses uh, to uh, those that were unemployed. Okay, gentlemen, I'm just going to I'm I'm going to insist. Hang on, guys, I'm going to insist you don't talk over each other. But um, go go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, Randy, love you like a brother, but I got to disagree with you here. The promises your government continues to make are as the equivalent as one constituent told me. Someone, when you say I need a, show, a, a snow shovel at the hardware store, they'll say we'll have 45 of them for you next September. That doesn't help people today. You guys have been late on that. And again, your, your border uh, measures to protect people. Uh, look, we've had a flight every single day from, from India where someone has, uh, from, from India to Toronto, where someone has COVID-19. Their border initiatives are a joke and are not helping protect Canadians from variants. And the last thing I would simply say is, is that there needs to be a sense that, yes, this is a, an emergency we need to take seriously, but we also need to have a fiscal anchor that, that says that once we get out of this, that we have yeah. a plan to responsibly and carefully grow the economy, maintain jobs, at the same time deal with the debt that your government has laid it on. Because so you want too much about the announcement, not, a much, not enough about the execution or the details. Okay, Liberal MP Randeep Sarai, go ahead. 
Look, in terms of the travel restrictions, we have one of the most uh, rigorous uh, entry points uh, from COVID testing prior to you leaving on arrival, three-day quarantining in a hotel, as well as a mandatory quarantining of the rest of the time at your house. In the U.S., there's no such thing. We have uh, one of the most rigorous uh, processes and and the variants he's talking about these other uh, countries like the United States and the United Kingdoms are actually in, in the case of UK part of the problem of that variant in Canada we've restricted those flights the US has not re- restricted uh, many of those uh, uh, flights uh, their numbers their death rate has is, is twice as much as Canada uh, when it comes to uh, domestic supply yes we all know that the US had capacity on vaccines uh, Europe had some of those uh, the Canadian ones had left we've invested in those. There's new manufacturing facilities being made and research facilities in Saskatchewan and Montreal. And immediately they were funded in in March of last year so that we can have our own domestic capacity uh, going forward. The same was done for PPE equipment. And I think that's shown. Uh, We're in a much better fiscal position. We've got a AAA credit rating uh, just a a few weeks ago where that was was, uh, reiterated again by one of the largest uh, uh, ratings agencies. And let me remind you, when it comes to spending on Canadians, uh, we have the lowest borrowing costs. So can they, we had a choice. Either people borrow from their credit cards or their line of credits, or the Canadian government borrow for them at the lowest possible rate. And that's what we did. And every, uh, uh, every agency has said Canada actually still has okay. more capacity to do so, and we will do that. Welcome back to the show. Here we go with my next guest now, Al McIntyre. Al is a former senior commander with the RCMP. He was a Mountie for 39 years, including serving as the RCMP assistant commissioner in Surrey. Al has been fighting a courageous battle against an extreme case of COVID-19. And he joins me now from the intensive care unit at VGH. Al, can you hear me okay? Yes, loud and clear, Mike. Thank you. Okay. Al, thank you very much for coming on. Are you, are you up for this interview? Are you feeling all right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Al, I've been following your, your story on Twitter, and I'm, I was just amazed at your courage here in fighting this disease. You got a brutal, brutal case of COVID-19. Al, when did you, uh, when did you get sick? When did you catch this thing? Uh, just before the end of the month, Mike, I got sick, and uh, they brought me into VGH uh, ICU. And uh, treated me like a king ever since, and my wife. Okay, did you get sick right away? Like, did it hit you like a ton of bricks, or did it come on a little more slowly? Or I came on slowly with some nose, just nose running, and and just a little bit of sore throat, and then it just turned right around on the first of the month. It just turned into something horrible, and uh, I, uh, by the time I knew which way was up again, I was intubated. I had a feeding tube catheterized i had uh, more holes and bells and whistles and all kinds of expensive medical gear hanging off me and uh they they turned me around mike they saved my life yeah no it's out you've got you're off the ventilator now right uh, you wouldn't be speaking to me otherwise yeah no you can't speak with that ventilator it's uh, uh, I, I call it the iron lung but it saves lives yeah what was so when you got into the hospital you went on the ventilator like you were like were you near were you near death? Like, how, how bad was it? Um, well, I guess my stats had dropped quite a bit. My oxygen had uh, just dropped right down, and I was uh, hallucinating, and I saw my dead dad. I, I saw it all, man. 
Wow. Okay. So you were having hallucinations. You were seeing. You were seeing dead relatives. I saw dead relatives. I. Uh, I never thought I'd breathe again. I never thought I'd see my wife again. It is just a horrible, horrible, freaking thing. Okay. When you were when Al, when you were on the on the ventilator, um, were you conscious there? Or are you uh, unconscious? Uh, they they keep you uh, sedated with some. I've never taken a sleeping pill in my life, but. They uh, they keep you sedated with different drugs, and some of them were good and some of them not so good. But uh, I, I do kind of you know, remember people coming and going, but you're kind of in a semi-vertical position. And, you know, I, I think I said to you, Mike, you know, I've been shot at a few times by the bad guys. I've laid in the ditch and tried to save a young girl's life. I've been peed on. I've crapped on like, you know, you're just never ready for this in life. This is... Uh, like nothing else, nothing. Speaking to Al McIntyre, former assistant commissioner of the RCMP with his life or death battle against COVID-19. And Al is speaking to me live from the intensive care unit at VGH. Okay, Al, when did you, um, when did they start taking you off the ventilator in the feeding tube? Uh, two days ago, I got the ventilator tube out. Wow. And then I got the feeding tube out. And yesterday was a big day because I got the catheter out. Yeehaw for that one. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but it's, uh, every day's a step, Mike, you know, and, uh, I tell you, we got to listen. We got to listen to the professionals. Dr. Bonnie Andrews, Dr. Adrian Dick. We got to listen to them. We have Dr. Sorry, Minister Adrian Dick. We got to listen to them. This is, this is crap. This, this crap that's going on in Kitsilano Beach. Like people are going to get sick down the, down the road a little bit, and we're going to be right back at it. And, uh, you know, we need to do what the healthcare professionals tell us. Honest to Christ, this, you just can't say, oh, don't worry, I'll, I'll have a beer or two, and I'll be up in the morning and ready to train. That ain't going to happen. Okay, speaking of that beach party you're referring to, Al, I think, we got, I, think I got some sound here of the, of the beach party. Let's have a little listen to that for a sec. We got angry like instantly. It was unsettling. Just very concerning. Okay, yeah, we saw a couple of big beach parties on the weekend. Al, what's your message to people who are ignoring the health orders and gathering together? Oh my goodness! You know, just follow the health instructions that we're getting. They're 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 doing it for us. You know, my uh, my daughter works in ICU. My son-in-law works. In the ER, they're they're working for us. They're the ones that are putting in the hours on the front lines on the good fight, and they're trying to save us. And all we can do is kick them in the nuts by just ignoring their advice. I just don't get it. No, I think that's a really important message, Al. Al, how are you feeling today, and what what's the what's the prognosis here for you? Are you going to get out of there soon? I, I think I'm going to be out of here in two more days. Wow. So we we have a farm in South Langley. I think I'll be going home there to recuperate with my wife, and and uh, we followed the rules tightly, Mike. We we thought we had it all right, but we something slipped through the cracks, and we got burned. But it's, we're not going to get burned a second time. I can tell you that. But please, please, folks, do 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 what Doctor Bonnie Andrew asked. Do what the medical people ask of us. It's just a little while longer. We can put this crap behind us. Al, I think that's a very important message that you're sharing today. I'm glad you're feeling better. I hope you get out of there soon. 
thanks a lot for spending some time and coming on the radio with me today. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you to your listeners, and please, please, just do what they say. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about one of the most iconic tourist attractions in our city, and that's the Vancouver Aquarium. And the big announcement last week that the aquarium had been sold to an American theme park company, Hershend Enterprises. Now, some concerns being raised about this. On the other hand, though, the aquarium had been going through difficult times, shut down uh, during COVID-19 and appeared to be teetering on the on bankruptcy this deal would appear to save the aquarium going forward have a listen to this now this is eric rose who is the vice president of hershend enterprises the company that just bought the aquarium we started out in the 1960s as a small family-owned caves attraction in the ozark mountains of branson missouri and today this little cave attraction has now grown into a family of brands that collectively entertain more than 14 million guests annually. Okay, Eric Rose there, the vice president of the new owners of the Vancouver Aquarium. This is a company that owns a couple of aquariums in the United States. They also own some other uh, enterprises, including the Harlem Globetrotters and a Dolly Parton theme park. Now, let's talk about some of the concerns that are being raised about this deal. My guest is Shane Simpson, former NDP MLA uh, for a long time. He's the former housing minister in the province. I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Shane, thanks a lot for coming on. Oh, it's great to be with you, Mike. Okay, so Shane, tell me about your concerns uh, about this deal. Well, you know, I come at this just as a citizen and somebody who's a supporter of the aquarium and, uh, and, and has supported it through what has been some controversial times. And it came as an entire surprise to me that this nonprofit um, public asset um, all of a sudden had been sold to uh, a, an amusement park operator from the United States. Uh, I understand very much the financial challenges that the that the aquarium's going through, and they're very real and, and that, but um, I didn't hear any conversation about this, and this was a public asset for all intents and purposes, and it concerns me that you unload a public asset to a U.S. private corporation without talking to anybody. Okay, it's better than it going under, though, right, and going bankrupt. It is, but, you know, the, the budget of, of the uh, aquarium, about $42 million a year from what I've been seeing, and they've been saying they need about a million dollars a month uh, to meet the basic needs of the species there, food and care and that, uh, and that's been the problem. Um, I'm challenged to see how all of this going on, that uh, there wasn't some place to find uh, a few million dollars, and that's what we're talking about, to get through the next number of months until we hope that uh, the aquarium will open up, like hopefully the rest of uh, British Columbia. Okay, this has been an asset in our city and an iconic uh, institution in Vancouver for a long time. It started up way back in the in the 1950s. Are you concerned that it, it could somehow change under American for-profit ownership? Very much. Um, you know, I think one of the real positives of the aquarium has been the commitment it made, and this kind of came, I think, after the issue of whales, captivity, no captivity. Um, they moved the, the uh, shifted somewhat the aquarium, and it talked about conservation and science and research and marine rescue. And that really became the thing that I think British Columbians and, and Vancouverites embraced as being important. Um, and that's been the focus of much of the work, as well as people getting the opportunity for the educational value of going to the aquarium. Um, I'm not convinced that any of that's sustained long-term by an amusement park operator, and we haven't seen the details. 
Um, as far as I can tell, there's 1% of some type of revenue that will go to OceanWise, the nonprofit, the concert, the association. Um, is that the extent now of the commitment? I don't know. Uh, and there's massive subsidies involved here. Um, you know, the, the aquarium was paying about $40,000 a year, I think, in rent. So that's about 3300 bucks a month, about what it costs you to rent a two- or three-bedroom apartment in Vancouver these days. And they were paying that for that site in, in the park. Is the commitment to continue that subsidy with this company and for how long? And what are the terms of that? We don't know because none of that information has been made public. Okay, you mentioned that the, the company has committed to give a percentage of its revenues, 1%, to OceanWise to continue some of the nonprofit work that they have done. Uh, are you, are you, is your concern there that that's not enough? Well, I don't even know what that means. Uh, 1%, it depends on how you do the math. Um, is it 1% of net? Is it 1% of gross? Um, is there a, a, a cap on it? Uh, how long does it last for? Those are all the kind of questions that, uh, uh, that need answers. And at this point, we haven't seen any of them. So I'm not even sure what 1% means. I also concern myself that this money going to OceanWise, which is a very good organization and, and needs support, but this money going there is a bit of cover uh, for what's going to be serious criticism that the people who run Dollywood um, all of a sudden are running the aquarium. Uh, I don't think that the public that has embraced the aquarium is going to be very excited about this. And getting past that, I think probably, you know, using the association, quite frankly, is part of helping to get through that. Okay, well, I'm not sure the public would care too much about whether the, the company operates a, a, a Dolly Parton theme park or not. I mean, I think, that wouldn't they mostly be concerned that the aquarium is still there and sustainable for, for people to enjoy into the future? Isn't that the main concern of the public here? I think that that's a big concern, um, but, but I think how it's run is also a concern. You'll know, Mike, you've been around long enough. The debates around the aquarium have been, you know, uh, what are you doing, um, keeping the animals in captivity, uh, and yet I think the science and the conservation work for that. I'm also, it's a public asset. It was created yeah. by public dollars, and it's largely been run by public uh, dollars in many ways, and, and I think that there will be pushback about having this go to a private company in the United States. So no doubt people want the aquarium to stay and, 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 and to be there for themselves and their families, but yeah. I think they have expectation about what it will be, and there's a heck of a lot of uncertainty about what this is going to look like in five years now. So you want to see somewhat more transparency on it. You would like to see the t more terms of the deal disclosed? Well, I think that, that those terms have to come out. I mean, my understanding is the Parks Board voted this in in-camera meeting. They essentially had the ability to kill this deal by by saying, um, you know, uh, we're not going to you know, advance the subsidy that we provide through the lease payments. Now, maybe there's legal reasons for that, but I don't understand. Uh, but um, I think that people are, want to know how did it happen why didn't any, who was talked to, and what did senior levels of government do, or in this case, maybe not do, um, to ensure the viability uh, during the pandemic of the aquarium? You know, was there a $10 million required? Um, a lot of money has been passed around to keep things viable during this, and, and I think there's a question as to why, you know, maybe $10 million uh, going to the aquarium was not available, and there may be okay. good reasons, but I don't know what they are. Okay, Shane Simpson, thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it today. I appreciate it a lot. 
Thank you. Take care. All right. Shane Simpson there, former NDP cabinet minister, raising some concerns about the Vancouver Aquarium deal. Okay, well, let's get um, let's get some response from the aquarium right now. I got on the line Clint Wright. He's the chief operating officer of the Vancouver Aquarium, and I'm pleased to welcome him. Clint, thanks a lot for coming on. Oh, you're very welcome, Mike. Okay, I know you were listening to the interview there. How do you respond to the concerns that were just outlined there? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, every, every, the aquarium is one of the most popular um, venues in the whole of Vancouver, if not BC, and uh, people care about it. They care about the animals. They, they want to be sure that the aquarium that they grew up with, you know, three generations of Canadians have, have grown up, um, and, uh, and uh, uh, Vancouverites have grown up with the aquarium, and they love it and care about it. It, yeah. uh, it is a, a private, uh, not-for-profit, so it's not, it's not a publicly run uh, facility. So, um, you know, and it's, it has a not-for-profit board, an unpaid board of directors that looked out for the future of the aquarium. They've been, many of them have been with the aquarium for decades. Um, they absolutely are passionate about the mission of the aquarium, conservation, research, education, and they simply would not have let this uh, go to a company that wasn't going to uphold that. And in Hershend, we've found the perfect fit. They absolutely embody uh, the spirit of the Vancouver Aquarium, the mission of the aqu- aquarium. And uh, certainly all, all the staff here who care as much about the aquarium as anybody else in the Lower Mainland are absolutely thrilled um, that Hershend have come in and they're going to be supporting us going into the future. Okay, well, that's reassuring to hear, but what about some of the other specific concerns we just heard from that former NDP cabinet minister? They're like, you know, he wondered about the 1% revenue commitment to OceanWise to continue some of the, the nonprofit and conservation work on there. Is that one profit of, like, total gross revenue a year? Is that how that's going to work? Yeah, that, that would be that would be 1% of the, of the gate, so the number of people that we can get through the doors. Yeah. Um, the other thing that Hershend have taken on, of course, is the marine mammal rescue, so they're absolutely committed to that, one of the biggest conservation programs um, uh, that we have and um, and uh, they're supporting the OceanWise of course through the through the sale of the aquarium so uh, yeah. taking on a lot of the debt that we had um, looking to the future they're going to future proof us they're going to see us through this this pandemic and as much as we'd like to think would be open this summer I kind of doubt it but we'll give it the best shot we can um, and if you talk to tourism leaders in the province they're saying it's going to be two three maybe four years before we get back to normal tourism and people being able to go about their, their lives normally if, if, if they can. And so that's a challenge, and they've taken on that responsibility. Um, so absolutely supporting conservation. The work that we do is, is through OceanWise, um, largely through uh, work that goes on outside the aquarium, but also for work inside the aquarium too, so like the frog uh, recovery program that we have. Um, when we're looking at the rescue of marine mammals and, and other animals. Um, so there's a lot of work goes on inside the aquarium and outside the aquarium, and Hershend is stepping up to support that. Was this aquarium in danger of going bankrupt, going under, and just going away forever if you did not get a private sector uh, buyer to come in here? Well, uh, I think it was about this time last year that Lassa Gustafsson, our, our CEO um, of, of OceanWise, said we were facing bankruptcy, and he, he wasn't yeah. joking. Um, the, with pandemic, we, uh, we can't bring people through the doors, and that's where most of our money comes from. We get no operating money from any level of government. Uh, so we rely on that front gate to be able to, uh, to fund uh, all of our conservation initiatives, uh, our education, and to support the running of the aquarium. So um, 
without that, without that uh, money coming through the front door, we had to dip into our reserves. We had a healthy reserves, but a million dollars a month, it doesn't take you long to go through that. The community have been terrific. We had 10,000 unique donors come through uh, offering support. And without their support, without the support of the Whitecaps, without support of government too, um, no. we wouldn't have got through this. It just simply, we, we at this time of the year in 2021, right now, if we had not uh, got this deal done, we would be facing uh, bankruptcy and wind down. The animals were never in danger. I should say that right off the bat. Uh, obviously, you retain uh, enough money to ensure that the animals will always be taken care of and we'll find good homes for them. But now we don't have to do that. We're looking at a bright future, thanks to the fact that Hershen came to the, to the table and really were a terrific fit for us. Okay, final question for you, Clint. Will the public see any changes at the aquarium going forward? Like I read that a lot of the local management will be retained. The company is hoping to rehire a lot of the people who have been laid off uh, going forward. For the general public who, who love the aquarium, as you said, and, and want to visit it again, will they, will they notice any changes at all going forward? I think you're going to get the best of the last 64 years. Um, it will be very much Vancouver's aquarium. It's Vancouver. It's, a, it's yeah. Canadian-led It'll have Canadian content. It's in BC. It's iconic. You're going to see some new things, I'm sure. Hopefully, um, you know, uh, and, and that will be the exciting thing to explore over the coming months. We don't know exactly what's going to be, but certainly um, the very best of the aquarium that people have experienced, as I say, for three generations will be here for them. They'll be able to come back with their families. We're all hoping the pandemic will be over soon, and we'll be able to welcome back families and engage them in, in, uh, in the ocean. Thanks for coming on today. You're very welcome. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's give you an update now on a story that we covered earlier on the show, and that's that looming report on UFOs set to be released by the U.S. Pentagon. Not normally a subject we cover a lot on the show, but there's a lot of interest in this particular report. And if the Pentagon is taking it seriously, should the rest of us take it seriously too? Is this report really going to shock the world? There's been some interesting comments made by senior American officials about this looming report. So let's discuss it now and get an update with the panel, a fantastic panel we've assembled for you on this topic. Brian Dunning on the line. He is the podcast host at Skeptoid.com. Uh, Brian does a lot of work uh, debunking uh, conspiracy theories and urban myths. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Brian, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, sir. Great. It's, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me, man. It's you, been a you, long time. you bet, Brian. Thank you. Also on the line is Dave Scott. He is the creator and host of Spaced Out Radio, and Dave covers UFOs on his syndicated show. Uh, Dave, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Okay, gentlemen, it's good to have both of you here. Let me play something for both of you and get your take on this, because this is a comment you're going to hear here that I think got a lot of people's attention and kind of kicked up the interest a, a notch on this story. And you're going to hear uh, John Ratcliffe here, who is a former senior official in, in the, Donald, the previous Donald Trump White House. And here he is speaking to Fox News now, about UFOs and this report that's coming out from the Pentagon shortly. Here he is, John Ratcliffe. 
frankly, there are a lot more sightings than have been made public. Some of those have been declassified. When we talk about sightings, we're talking about objects that have been seen by Navy or Air Force pilots or have been picked up by satellite imagery that, um, frankly, um, engage in actions that are difficult to explain, that um, movements that... Uh, that are hard to replicate, that we don't have the technology for, or traveling at speeds that you know exceed the sound barrier without a, a sonic boom. So in short, um, things that we are observing that are difficult to explain. Um, and so uh, you know, there's actually quite a few of those, and I think that that information is being gathered and will, will be put out um, in a way that the American people can see. We always, when we, when we see these things, Maria, we always look for a, a plausible explanation. You know, weather can cause disturbances, visual disturbances. Sometimes we wonder whether or not our adversaries have technologies um, that are a little bit further down the road than we thought or that we realized. But there are instances where we don't have good explanations for some of the things that we've seen. Okay. I mean, this is the thing that I think got a lot of people's attention. And Brian Dunning, let me go to you first. I mean, here is a guy who is talking about this report. There's unexplained phenomenon that people have seen, and that's why it's important to get this report out to the American public and the rest of the world. And I guess this guy, you know, this guy is not some crank or crackpot, right? He's the former director of national sure. intelligence. So what do you think about what he said sure. there? Well, I mean, he's talking about evidence that nobody has seen. I mean, so let's see the evidence. I mean, it's, it's very hard to comment. And he says there's videos and there's evidence that, that display characteristics or flight abilities that, uh, that we don't have. Well, none of the videos that, that are out there right now certainly uh, exhibit that. So uh, this is the kind of thing we've been hearing for 30 years. You know, there's, there's evidence out there. You know, it's just you're not special enough to see it yet. So let's see it, and then I can comment. Okay, what do you think, Dave? I think what Brian says is absolutely correct. And normally, uh, you know, when it comes to people who are skeptical of the phenomena, I, I usually grate my teeth a little bit. However, in this case, we need to be able to see something that is actually being hidden. No grainy photos, no uh, GIF type of, of uh, pictures that we are seeing of, of balls coming out of the water or into the water. If they keep teasing us with this, give us something that we can say is not from here. The videos so far that have been released have been, you know, run run more through the uh, through the uh, skeptical portion of everything than the than the Zapruder film of Kennedy being assassinated. If if this topic is real, let's let's either get off the pot and make it happen, or stop teasing us with what's going on because the public has a right to know if we are alone or not. Okay, let me play another clip here for you guys and get your take on it. So this is another senior U.S. official, Florida Center, uh, Senator Mark, Marco Rubio, and here he is talking about UFOs near uh, U.S. military installations. Marco Rubio, have a listen. For me, the whole thing was this, and that's why we put that language in there. And that's, people think about space aliens. For me, is there stuff flying over military installations, and no one knows what it is, and it isn't ours. So for me, that's logical. You want to know what it is. I mean, it's common sense, right? Stuff's flying over the top of your most sensitive installations, and it's not ours, and no one knows whose it is. You should find out what it is and tell us. Okay, Dave, what's the deal with that? When you hear this senator talking about stuff flying over military installations, what, what is he talking about there? 
Well, what he's talking about is some unknown craft that are flying over military installations, and that's what they're trying to to focus on right now is with the United States Navy, with the Air Force, and with the other branches of the military. They don't know who's invading or what's invading their properties and their training facilities. This has them a little bit of buzz. Now, if it is something of an extraterrestrial descent, how are they getting it? How are they able to track it? If it's just drones from an adversary, say China or Russia, they need to know that as well. And, I mean, a key figure on that was the July 2019 uh, incident that happened with three Navy destroyers outside of San San Diego, California, where allegedly these, what they call drones, were really teasing the naval ships over a six-day period. Now, if it is ours, we need that confirmation. If it's not ours, where is it coming from? And if it's okay. not coming from here, we need to be able to figure out where it is. Okay, Brian, Brian Dunning, what do you think about that? Like when you hear an American senator talking about stuff buzzing U.S. military installations, I mean, do you think there's a rational explanation for that? I mean, there must be in your, in your well, view, He didn't right? give enough information. He didn't give enough information to make that determination. He didn't say craft that are going too fast for for known airplanes or anything like that he just said unidentified radar targets you know and we've known that that's happened every day yahoo's and cessna skyhawks i've even done that myself out at area 51 um they get on and nobody knows who they are because they're not squawking with transponders so there's he just simply didn't give enough information to make any kind of a determination brian in, in your mind brian anytime there's one of these sightings and we just saw another one get a lot of attention here just in the last few days where the u.s military yeah. confirmed uh, that a a triangle shaped object that was seen flying over an american warship the pentagon confirming that was that was real that was a real video like when you look at that video of this so-called pyramid shaped object or whatever like in your mind, at the end of the day, there has to be a rational explanation for everything that we see. Correct? Yeah, and that video is kind of a perfect example of uh, what what Dave and I are both talking about. With there just not being any good videos out there that show anything that's not mundane or everyday, because that video is absolutely consistent with. Uh, I actually hadn't even seen it until it had already been figured out by the whole internet community. Um, this is a oh, so what, oh, they did figure it out. What was the explanation? What was the explanation? It's a night scope. It's a night scope camera that has a a, um, a three plane uh, shutter, and so anything that's out of focus looks like a triangle. And when you look at the video, all of the stars in the background and the stars have all been identified by the internet too. Um, they're all triangles of exactly the same size and shape. So it's clear that that's what it is, and the the rate at which it's flashing shows a rate of 1.5 seconds and 1.25 seconds, which are the exact rates that commercial airplanes uh, blink their navigation lights and their big red belly light. So, and, and considering where the, where the boat was located, when the video was taken and what planes were flying over, and this is just done using the FlightAware website, um, it was a 737 coming in over the Pacific okay. uh, to LAX and just blinking its lights. There was absolutely nothing unexplainable or unexpected or mysterious about that video dave scott are you satisfied with that explanation no and i'll tell you why and the reason why is the naval ships actually contacted a carnival cruise lines uh, ship that was uh, sailing on past 
and was asking the captain and the radar operators of that ship whether or not they were seeing the same anomalies that the military ships were asking about and seeing for themselves. That's where it gets a little haywire for me, because if it was something that was a 737, there's no reason to go to the Carnival Cruise Line ship to say, hey, are you seeing these anomalous sightings on your radar as well, which the Carnival Cruise Lines also accepted. Now, I know the gentleman who put that video out, Jeremy Corbell, who works closely with George Knapp out of KLAS-TV in Vegas, and Knapp has been at the forefront of breaking these stories from his insiders over the last three decades. And, you know, there's a lot of anomalies to it. Yes, the flashes do look like they're from an airline, and yes, the stars are out of focus. They kind of do look like triangles or larger orb-like circles. But this, to me, this video is probably the best that we've had so far in grading whether or not there is something anomalous happening. Okay, Dave, when is that Pentagon report supposed to come out? The Pentagon report is supposed to come out June 25th. Okay, Brian, what do you think, when that Pentagon report comes out, do you think everything will be explainable in there? Or are you you on the edge of your seat? I expect it to be a very disappointing report. I don't expect there to be uh, much in there. Uh, that's not already public, and I don't expect it to say, hey, here's the rest of the video that uh, secretly existed, but we never showed it to you. Um, I, I frankly expect it to be quite disappointing to say nothing of interest. All right, welcome back to the show. We continue talking about that uh, UFO report looming from the U.S. Pentagon. If they're taking it seriously, should the rest of the world take it seriously? Brian Dunning and Dave Scott are my guests. Hey, Dave, real quick, you heard Brian say that he thinks this report is going to be uh, just disappointing. It won't live up to the hype. What do you think? I 100% agree with Brian. I think uh, the UFO world that I'm involved in is very excited about what's going to come on but i mean we're used to disappointments i don't see this being anything different with the united states government hanging on the line of national security as to why they cannot release more to the public okay we got a few minutes here to take a few phone calls on it let's go to denise on the line in vancouver hi denise hi mike i can't wait for this report to come out my husband and I had actually seen um, what we assumed to be UFOs, lights in the sky. Really? Uh, yeah, back in 2012, uh, we were. It was just before midnight. We were coming home from a birthday party, and my husband looked up in the sky and he, he just started saying, "What is that? What is that? What is that?" And I turned around, and there were four orange lights up in the sky. And they were below airplane level, as far as I'm concerned, or could tell. And they were in a they were in a position, kind of a diamond-like position. And then all of a sudden, there was three. And it was the weirdest thing. It didn't blink out. It didn't fly away. It didn't flash. It was just. It was just once one second there was four, and then there was three. Okay. We okay. had no idea. And then they started flying away. One just uh, disappeared. One started flying away in one direction, and then the other one just took off like a flash towards the east. Okay, wild. Let me get Brian Dunning's response on that. Brian, I mean, you hear these stories all the time. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, lights in the sky that you can't identify, that is the single most common by far UFO report. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many possible possibilities. It's impossible to speculate, you know, unless you're there 
preferably having an astronomer with you <laughs> who's most likely to know what the heck you're seeing up there. But, yeah, that's very common, and it's impossible to speculate. Let's go to Jason on the line in Vancouver. Jason. Jason. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Hi. 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 Um, so, there, I just took myself off the speakerphone, so it would be better... So, are we on the air? Or yeah, I, you're, on the air. you're on the air. You're on the you're on the air. Go ahead. <laughs> Great. Yeah, like um, I'm in Vancouver now, but I was on Vancouver Island about 20 years ago, outside of Courtney, BC, and a bunch of us, uh, a group of people that were about you know 10 people were stargazing, and all of a sudden we started seeing these little like one still star. Uh, all these other stars started emerging from it, so it was like pinpoints of light. But then they would come, they would, like, go out of the one and start circling around, doing stuff, and then going back to that point and, and becoming one with the first star, implying that there was some sort of, I, I don't know, I guess you could say um, one that was carrying smaller ships or something. I, let's I, let's I, check. Let me, ask, but, let me ask Dave Scott. Dave, what do you think, man? We've seen those reports quite a bit coming out of Vancouver Island area. But we also have to remember that Courtney is also home to Comox, which is CFB Comox, which also has a lot of military explanation around that. Now, the other part of that is the Vancouver Island, for some reason, has a lot of UFO activity from the bottom of the island to the top. So the fact that you're seeing strange lights, these have been seen by the Canadian Navy. I've talked to someone who has seen okay. almost this exact thing. 